Good morning to you. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We are continuing through the Gospel of Mark. Only been in the Gospel of Mark for a few weeks and uh, just getting started, kind of getting our stride. Um, Gospel of Mark is is the earliest Gospel written. A lot of people think it was really kind of inspired or dictated by the Apostle Peter to Mark and so uh, probably has a lot of the insights of Peter. We don't know that for sure, but it's very likely that that there's some truth to that. Gospel of Mark is very much an action-filled book. Uh, In the Old King James, you see the word straightway, which in the newer uh, English means immediately. So we see Jesus immediately going here and immediately going to the next place, immediately going to the next place. So it's a common theme. that There's a lot of activity in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the servant of God and the servant of man. So we see him um, really hands-on with the people. Uh, there are less, there are fewer long discourses and kind of more activity, and yet the Gospel of Mark is not lacking at all for theological teaching. And so this morning we continue on. Uh, last week we had, uh, or two weeks ago, R- Pastor Rob taught on um, the beginning of Jesus's uh, ministry from verses 14 down to verse 20. We saw the choosing of the apostles, and now we see Jesus uh, kind of just stepping out, in, out into the action and, and getting going on, on his ministry. So this morning, actually only two verses. We're going to consider them well. You guys are going to be experts on these two verses when we're done. So, Verse 21 and 22. Let me read Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray together. Father, we need to be astonished at your word and we want to be astonished at your word. We, we never want our hearts to be callous to your word. We never want to come to church thinking that there's nothing that you want to teach us. There's always something you want to teach us. We want to have our hearts leaning into you, open and soft, God, our minds open our spirits, Lord, uh, fertile ground for you to sow your word into, Lord. That we might be changed, God, for the better. That we might be healed. Lord, that you might use us, that you would transform us increasingly into the image of Christ, that our lives would look more and more like Jesus, Lord. So may we be here before you now, God, with open Bibles, open hearts, and open minds. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's review just for a moment. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's baptizing the people for repentance. Jesus shows up. John and Jesus are cousins. Jesus presents himself to be baptized. John the Baptist recognizes there is no repentance in Jesus. There is no sin to be repented of. But Jesus gets baptized as a symbol of his identification with humanity. We see in, verses, in verse 12, and the other Gospels expand on this, as soon as Jesus submitted to the baptism as directed by the Father from heaven, then the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's out there for 40 days and nights fasting. Satan comes at him at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, tempting him to use his own divine power to to minister to his own physical needs. 
and Satan tries to get Jesus off track and three times Jesus responds with the word of God, it is written. And so that's very important because today we're studying about the authority of the word of God. So what do we have so far? Jesus submits himself to the Father and is identified with with sinful man. Even before that, guys, don't forget, Jesus just wasn't born on earth. He stepped out of heaven. How many problems do you think he had in heaven? (laughs) Starts with an N, ends with an un, none. No problems at all. He had the glory of the angelic host, recognizing him in all of his glory. There were no problems. And yet he put on flesh to come and walk among us to redeem us. So even before his birth, it's a huge condescension. It's a huge step down that he makes to walk among us, to redeem us, to die for our sins, to show us the way to the Father. He submits then to the baptism. He submits to the wilderness tempting where he suffers uh, very deeply. We then see him beginning his ministry in verse 14 We see John the Baptist being put in jail. We see Jesus praying, uh, choosing his disciples and uh, submitting to the Father once again in the choosing of 12 men that he gathers to himself to make his closest companions and, and they are students of his. The word disciple, we're going to use that word a little bit today. When you think of a disciple, think of a follower or a student. So hopefully everybody here is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus, learning about Jesus so that you can follow him. If you're not a a disciple of Christ yet, we pray that you will be, that you'll look on him and say, you know what, there's a lot of things on earth that I could follow, I want to follow him. Guys, we're all following something. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't know if you think about it. You're all following, we are all following a philosophy. We are all following the advice of our neighbors. Of course, there's the ever-present and perfect word of Facebook. There's all kinds of philosophies. There's all kinds of stuff that we can see on television, magazines, all kinds of ideas that come into our own mind. We are all following some kind of impetus, some kind of suggestion, some kind of influence We want to follow Jesus. He will never lead you astray. He will always lead you to green pastures and still waters, as it says in Psalm 23. And so these guys are disciples. He chooses his disciples. They are followers. They are students. They are learning about their master so that they can follow in his footsteps. Now we see Jesus getting busy with ministry. We read in verse 21, Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. You can look at your notes. We're just going to go over a couple of things there. The notes are there to to make it a little easier to navigate through the sermon. Capernaum was on the northern part of Israel on the Sea of Galilee. So if if this is a map here, look up at me right here. If this is Israel, Israel's kind of narrow, runs north and south more or less. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is up in this region here and Capernaum is up on the north side. This was a frequent uh, stopping place, a frequent visiting place that Jesus would go to. This was the hometown of Peter. And so Jesus often would take up residence there in that area. The ruins of the synagogue, we are told in verse 21, the ruins of the synagogue where Jesus taught can still be seen. And a few of us have been blessed to be able to go over to Israel and you can see that floor. It's just kind of amazing. You can see the lowest row of stones. It's not a a big building. As I recall, I don't even think it's as big as this room. Just a small building. Capernaum wasn't a major metropolis or anything like that. But it's kind of amazing to go to that synagogue and see that place where this happened. And so you can go to the ruins, save your money, and you can go. The idea about teaching in the synagogue, in those days there were no regular teachers. They didn't have like a hired 
uh, rabbi or something like that. And so they would welcome guest speakers. If a guest speaker would come, uh, they had readings that they would go through and they would allow the guest speaker to open up uh, the Old Testament, maybe the prophets or the Psalms or the historical books or something like that. They could open up the book, they could read it, they could make comments on it, that kind of thing. So this idea was not uncommon. Jesus took great advantage of that opportunity. He showed up. They probably said, hey, got anything to say? And and Jesus said, you know what? Mm, Yeah, I do. (laughs) I do have some things that I want to say. I do have some things that I want to teach you. So very common kind of thing. Jesus was very deliberate about teaching people the word of God. Very deliberate as we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. We often see these phrases that he sat down to teach or he stood up to teach or he went there to teach, went over to another place to teach. Jesus was very deliberate about teaching We sometimes focus on his miracles. They're amazing. Healings, casting out demons. But I want to suggest to you, in my opinion, I think Jesus was just as deliberate about teaching as he was about healing. Maybe even more so. And I'll explain that in a bit. But the teaching, well, I'm going to explain it now. I can't even wait. You you can heal a man and not change his life other than that he's physical. You can heal a man and he's not changed emotionally or mentally or spiritually. You can heal a man and now he's a healthy sinner and he can go home. Instead of being a crippled sinner, now he's a healthy sinner. But the life isn't changed. Jesus is all about changing lives by his word. As we come to him in repentance, as we come and say, Lord, I've been wrong, forgive me. Number one, make me your child. Number two, have your way with me. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I want to surrender to you. I want to keep surrendering to you every day of my life. Guys, I've been walking with the Lord, kind of had a little, got saved at 16, ages 18 to 24, went off the rails for a while, age 24, came back, and now I'm 32, and it's been a great... (laughs) I'm glad you're listening. I don't regret one day of ever following Jesus. I don't regret one... I I I I have no regrets about obeying him, not even once. Every time I've obeyed him, it's always been good. It hasn't always been easy, but it's always been good. And so he wants to transform lives. That's why Jesus is so interested in teaching. Mercy and ministry to people if they need to be healed, if they have demons and need the demons cast out, all of that, yes. But don't overlook, as we go through this book, Jesus was very deliberate about teaching. Now I want you to look at your notes. Jesus taught under letter C, number three. He taught thousands at a time, sometimes like Sermon on the Mount, or there were a number of times when there were four or 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He would, he would have like stadium events, outdoor stadium events. They would just gather around him. But he also spent a lot of time with his small group of disciples, 12, and then sometimes the group was bigger as other followers would come. And then he had the inner circle, uh, three guys that were with him. And he would, he would teach on all levels. If you recall in John chapter 3, there was a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to him by night. And Nicodemus came and said, Rabbi, we know that you're from God because of the things that you do. And Jesus turned that opportunity into a teaching moment. Now I want you to think, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that we use in Christianity, it's called discipleship. It's in the Bible. Disciple is a follower or a student or a learner. And then we have this thing that we call discipleship when one Christian is helping another Christian or groups of Christians to to become followers of Jesus. And sometimes that's done through a class like uh, Lloyd and Diane Lenny uh, have had a new believers class. By the way, if there's any new believers here and you want to have a more structured weekly kind of thing, that can be arranged. And there's other people, the life groups that we have. 
They take time to go through the Word or maybe review the sermon or read a book together or something like that. But guys, discipleship is, is not limited to a church offering 12 weeks and you're going to go through a book and you're going to do this homework and all of that. That is discipleship to be sure. But you know, Jesus never offered a class. People just came and listened to him. And as he taught them, he was discipling them. Is that, are you guys with me? He was helping them to understand the truths of God. He was helping them to understand the truths of heaven so that they could willingly make a choice to say, you know what, I've followed my own path for far too long. I want to follow Jesus. This makes much more sense to me. This resonates as being true to me. So I think sometimes uh, within Christendom at large, we might have the mentality of, you know, I want to be discipled. Why isn't the church offering a class? Or who am I going to find to mentor me? And I, I absolutely need somebody to, to help me get through my problems. And, and all of that's really good. I'm not putting any of that down. But guys, my point is this. Discipleship is much broader than that. Sermon on the Mount, thousands. Around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus would teach thousands. That was discipleship. Jesus would spend time with the twelve. That was discipleship. Jesus would spend time with the three. That was discipleship. Jesus would spend some time with a, with a Pharisee that kind of snuck out at night to go talk to him in the dark. That was discipleship. By the way, with, um, with Nicodemus, Jesus didn't set it up. I think sometimes we might be waiting for somebody to say, we're offering a class, or hey, I want to mentor you, or I want to take you under my wing. And once again, I'm not discounting all... These things are not mutually exclusive. They're actually mutually inclusive. I remember, you know, in my early days as a Christian, I need a drink of water, sweetheart. Can you... This is my lovely wife, Debbie. Let's have a hand up for my wife. I'll, I'll embarrass her every chance that I get. Actually, not every chance. That wouldn't be good. Jesus taught me that. <laughs> when I was a young Christian, I looked for guys. I went, and, and I went to Raul Reese's leadership meetings. From Orange County, I drove into L.A. County and changed my work schedule so I could be there. I, I went and found Richard Semino, who Calvary, pastors Calvary Metro in Roseville, and I inserted myself into his life. I, I found other guys and found books, and I remember telling Debbie, honey, from now on, Christmas, uh, Father's Day or whatever, you know, I want you to buy me Christian commentaries. And I, and I don't recall ever having anybody say, come here, Bill, we're going to take you and we're going to set you down here. And once again, none of this is wrong, but we're going to set you down and we're going to take you through this motion. It's like I wanted to learn about Christ. So I found people to attach myself to. And that was the common method of the day of Jesus. If you heard a rabbi and you wanted to follow him, you'd quit your job and go follow him. And so what's my point? My point is this. I think sometimes we're a little bit passive in regards to thinking, I want to learn about Jesus, but nobody's invited me. And they're not offering a class, so I guess I'm not being discipled. Guys, you're being discipled right now. Did you know that? Yes or no? You're being discipled right now. When you go to a life group, when we have our home fellowships, you're being discipled there because we're talking about Jesus, we're interacting about Jesus, and the truth about Jesus is the focus about what we want to talk about. When somebody invites you out to coffee 
and, uh, and they begin to tell you, you know, I'm really struggling with my marriage and maybe you're a Christian that has some biblical insight or maybe you've worked through struggles in your own marriage or something. You say, can I share with you how God spoke to me about, uh, you know, loving my spouse? And you impart that information to them. You're discipling them right there. Didn't even plan it. And so, once again, not to take away from organized, structured classes and books and all of that. That's all very, very useful but I just think sometimes we might be a little bit narrow in our view of, of if it doesn't happen this way, it's not happening at all. And so discipleship is going on right now. Why? Because we have our Bibles open and we're talking about Jesus. So discipleship's going. And then when you go out one-on-one with somebody and you're able to share one word with them, one, one biblical exhortation or a bit of instruction or whatever, you just discipled somebody. You're helping them be a follower of Christ. And as they speak to you, and maybe, you know, you haven't been able to connect to a group or something. Guys, there's this thing called YouTube on the Internet. And there's this thing called the Internet. And there is so much good information out there now to grow in the knowledge and, and understanding of the ways of God. There's so much available that, that there really should, it really isn't fair for a Christian to ever say, nobody's helping me grow. The food is there. The banquet table is set. It's wonderful to have somebody come alongside and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. It's wonderful to have somebody to talk you through things, ask questions, totally for that and, and that's probably even better. But there's so much that you can do to feed yourself the word of God. And why is that important? Because it was important to Jesus. You guys with me? He wants to teach you. He didn't just teach then. Guess what? He's still teaching now. Right? Amen? He's still teaching now. When we open this book, when we open our Bibles, I, I stand up in front of you with the confidence and, and with the full belief, guys, you don't need my opinion. You need his word. And if I study and pray and say, Lord, here I am, use me, and he does, then he taught you again. And you were discipled again. So I just want to encourage you that, you know, this is kind of a funny, kind of a farmer way to put it. The feeding trough is not this big. <laughs> the feeding trough is massive. And you can eat from both sides. There's all kinds of ways to be discipled in the Lord. And you may, you may say, well, I just can't, I haven't met the right person and I'd really love to be able to do this with somebody. That's a wonderful prayer. Great prayer. Keep praying for it. But don't think to yourself, I can't grow in my Christian faith until that person comes along. Yes, say say it with me. Yes, you can. (laughs) Yes, you can. And Jesus is all about that. He's all about teaching people the truth of heaven. So discipleship happens all kinds of different ways. It says that he taught the people. Look at your notes here. It means to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, to explain or expound something. The people in the nation of Israel at this time, they didn't, just, they didn't need men who were just sharing their opinions. They needed the truth of God. And it's really interesting that the scribes here uh, who, are, who are criticized in verse 22, they are the lawyers of, of the word of God. They are the guys that would copy the word of God. You want to know one way to get to know the word of God? Copy it. And if they would make a mistake, say you're copying the book of Isaiah and they made a mistake in chapter 50, they would throw the whole thing away, go take a ritual cleansing bath and start over with chapter 1. That's how careful the scribes were with the word of God. 
So they were very exposed to the word of God and yet they didn't understand the word of God because their hearts weren't right with the Lord. And so any of us here and any Christian anywhere or somebody coming to church can be very exposed to the word of God. You can have a Bible, you can mark it up and all those things, but unless it really starts to take root in your heart, unless it's taught to you and explained to you, number one, by the Holy Spirit, and then number two, by a person that the Holy Spirit would use, it doesn't impact you like it should. And the people of Israel here, they're used to hearing the scribes and the Pharisees. They would quote, uh, they would read a passage and they say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, and so it might mean this and it might mean that, and we really don't know, we are dismissed. Have a, have a great day. And so the people went away with a little bit of intellect, but what does it say about when Jesus taught? They were what? Astonished. There was a massive, massive difference, huge difference, excuse me. The people needed to, to, to not just be exposed to God's word, but they needed to understand it. They needed to think it through. There's two really important words that you need to say to yourself, and you can say it to me if you want, um, but more importantly that you say it to yourself at the end of every sermon, you should say, so what? How does this impact my life? So Pastor Bill went on and on and told us some history and blah, 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 and told us some stories about his life. and blah, 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 blah. So what? If you can't answer the so what question, then it was a waste of time. The so what question is where you say, this is what I learned and now this is what it does for me. This is how I apply it to my life. This is how I can be changed by what I just heard. And so the so what question is incredibly important. And guys, as the Lord might lead you to other churches and you move out of town and you find another church and all of that, wherever you go, if you keep going to church, and I pray that you do, you always need to leave the church saying, so what? And, and you might have a, a, a pastor or even a woman pastor in some cases. Don't believe in that. Don't believe in women pastoring men. Got in trouble for saying that once, but you know, I'll probably get in trouble for it again. <laughs> A lot of people don't think it's fair, but that's what the Word of God says. But the point is, a lot of people can go to gatherings called Christian gatherings, and you can be very, very entertained, and the guy can be uh, a good speaker and be very funny and very charismatic and all of those things, and we can be very moved in our souls. Sometimes on a soulish level, this is how I understand the, the triunity of man. We have the body, right? Then we have the soul, which is that intangible part of us, the intellect, the emotions, the desires, all those things. And then when you're born again, the spirit comes alive. And the spirit should be the, the dominating and the predominant uh, life force in the life of a Christian. As our spirit connects with his spirit, it all kind of trickles down and the spiritual life affects the soulish life. But guys, sometimes on a soulish level, just hear me out and please understand me, sometimes on a soulish level, as far as being interested in something, I'd rather hear a good comedian or somebody do a TED talk than, than listen to a pastor. Am I backsliding? Can I say that in church? You guys, well, I have no idea what you're thinking right now. Some pastors are boring. You can say amen if you want. We're not talking about anybody in particular. Some pastors are boring and they haven't studied and they haven't prepared and they're just talking and you're just thinking, what is this guy doing? And then you listen to some inspirational talk by, by you guys know what the TED Talks are, right? Anyway, if you don't look it up, you have all these you know, really bright people, cutting edge thinkers and all that kind of stuff. And you go, wow, that was really interesting. Man, that was really good. 
But they did nothing to speak for your spirit. They just tickled your soul. And a pastor might try to speak to your spirit and sometimes he just doesn't get it anyway. Some just doesn't make the connection. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Sometimes we judge our church experience. We judge our Sundays and our Wednesdays and what, what guys we like to watch videos of and all of that on how well they massage our soul. Now, I'm not going on, a, on the warpath this morning against anybody in particular, but I am going on the warpath against the pothole that a lot of believers fall into in regards to saying, man, that guy was funny. I can't wait to come back. You guys ever hear that? Man, that music was so loud. That was great. Man, I love it when it's loud. I'm coming back next week. Is that what worship's about? When I was a young man, we had a saying. I played in some bands, and the saying was, there is no substitute for volume. I like good loud music, but was it spiritual? Was it worship? I enjoy a good joke. I enjoy humor. I enjoy cutting intellect, uh, you know, real kind of witty stuff. I enjoy that. I enjoy guys that are very logical and can really work through a passage or even give a good talk. I enjoy all of that. But sometimes we as the church fall into the pothole of saying, it was funny, I, I had momentary relief from the problems of my day and all of that. But did you, were you taught? I doubt very seriously if anybody walked away from the Sermon on the Mount and said, man, that was funny. That Jesus of Nazareth guy, man, we got to get him a tour. You know? I doubt if anybody did that. They probably walked away just saying, that was amazing. I don't know how I can ever live the same again. I don't even know if Jesus you know, was necessarily like a good speaker according to what, what our culture might call a good speaker. I don't even know. But he taught them. Brothers and sisters, we need to be taught the word of God. We need to learn the word of God so that our lives will be changed because it says in Romans chapter 8 that God wants to transform your life increasingly so that it looks like the life of Jesus Christ. And that is what this world needs. I'm all for a good belly laugh. I, don't even, I, I like when pastors are funny because it helps me just relax a little bit. Sandy Adams cracks me up from Atlanta, Georgia, Stone Mountain, Georgia some good funny pastors out there, but you know what? I don't keep listening to them because they're funny. I keep listening to them because I walk away sometimes I'm truthfully astonished at what they said because it was so life-giving. It resonated of heaven. It had the, the fragrance and aroma of the throne of God about it. And those guys, we all, everybody okay? We all okay? Everybody okay? Everybody okay? Those are the kind of things we need to learn to acquire a taste for. It doesn't take any spiritual maturity at all to enjoy a funny pastor or a funny ministry. It takes no spiritual maturity at all. Is a funny pastor or a funny ministry okay? Absolutely. Is Christian comedy okay? Absolutely. There's this guy named Nazareth. The guy cracks me up. If you've seen him online, you can look him up. Um, Middle Eastern guy and he makes fun of himself and he's just hilarious. We had him at the church like 15 years ago. Really funny guy. But he brings the word. How many of you guys know who Gail Irwin is? Any Gail? Gail Irwin is a self-proclaimed kind of, uh, he's a pastor and he, he says, I go around the world playing the one string on my guitar. Puts himself, he teaches by putting himself down and making fun of himself, but he does it in such a way that all of us know that it applies to us too. Very humorous, but he teaches. 
the word of God. Lives are changed. And I just don't want us to miss this. Why am I making a big deal about this? In the rest of the chapter, um, in the rest of the chapter, there is a, a demon that's cast out. Um, there is uh, a woman that's healed of a fever, Peter's mother. Um, there are people healed and the demon-possessed are delivered in verses 32 to 34. And, and there's all kinds of things that we are going to go on and talk about, but I'm giving this one a lot of attention. Why? Because we aren't, because in our culture, in America today and in Napa today, and in Napa today, there's not a lot of demon uh, uh, exorcisms going on that I know of. And so when people are considering a life with Jesus Christ, they're not, they're not saying, man, every week they have exorcisms. I'm going to that church. That, that doesn't happen, right? Not a lot of healings that I know of. And I just believe that God can heal. And I believe that, that God can use Christians to cast out demons and all of that. What is the big thing that we have to figure out in our culture as Americans? What am I listening to? What am I hearing? What is the message that I'm getting? I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think I'm an okay. I think I'm an okay teacher. I don't know if I'm a great speaker, but I think I'm an okay teacher. And there are guys in in Northern California that are great speakers, really good, eloquent, incredible memories, know how to just uh, feel uh, kind of the response of, of a group of people, an audience, a crowd, a, a church congregation. Really, really good speakers. Very accomplished. Good background graphics, and just everything is very, very well done. And that's that's to be admired in its own sense but they're not bringing forth an astonishing message from heaven. You guys with me? Are we okay with this? You guys all right? Anybody hate me yet? If you don't, then I'm going to keep going. If you do, I'll keep going. This is, this, I want to camp out on these two verses because this is American Christianity. We don't have discerning Christians. Why are people following guys in 30,000-seat arenas that are not bringing forth the word of God? Why, why are people following false teachers in Napa? Why are some pastors and pastoras <laughs> preaching that sin is okay in Napa and people are crowding into those churches because they're not discerning the word of God? And we're going to see a verse here in a minute that says, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to live by the words that proceed from the mouth of God. And in American Christianity, in my view, and in Napa Christianity, in many cases, the discernment has been lost. And people are settling for everything else. Settling, there's some nice buildings. Not against nice buildings. Thankful for this one. We want to try to make it as nice as we can. They're settling for everything else. You guys know what I'm saying, right? They're settling for programs and extracurricular activities and social events and all the gatherings, all the, all the secondary things that are very nice and good in their own way, but they're sacrificing the understanding and the teaching of the Word of God to get all the secondary things. You guys with me? I really feel like I need to kind of push on this one because it's a problem here. It's a problem here. We sacrifice the best for the good. We give up the best for the good because the good immediately feels good. It immediately feels good to be entertained. I don't know if anybody here is right now is going, I'm so excited, I feel so convicted. Oh, I love feeling bad. I mean, I just... And yet Jesus spoke hard words to people, didn't he? He spoke hard words to people sometimes. And guys, I'm just saying this because, you know what? I love you guys. I love, I love people in our town. 
And, and it's, it's a, I feel like I'm walking on a tight wire sometimes because if you know how it is. You know how our culture has become. Man, you say one word that seems uh, contradictory to anything, you're immediately a bigot and a racist and all these things and you know, I'm blackballed and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like I, I want to speak to people, and, but boy, people are quick to condemn these days, aren't they? That's the kind of, this, this is the way that our nation is going. By the way, sorry, I believe this. If you're a younger person, it's going to be harder for you when you're my age than it is for us right now. It's going to be harder. If you're in your 20s right now and you follow Jesus into your 40s and 50s, think back on this day and go, wow, Pastor Bill was right. It's going to be harder. I don't think our nation, I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not believing, you know, crazy prophets and all this. Kind of, I just see something trending in my lifetime and it doesn't, it does, it's not trending good. God is still doing his work. And he's still on the throne. He still wants to save people. And he still wants to encourage his church. Absolutely. But I see things trending in a way that's going to be harder to follow Christ in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years, or if we're here. He said it would be. Pardon me? He said, he said it would be. He said it would be. Are you looking forward in my notes? Is that what you're doing? You're cheating. <laughs> ah, no, you're, you just know your Bible. You do. Yeah. Guys, we don't want to sacrifice what, what Je- we don't want to sacrifice what Jesus made a priority about. Let's keep going. The teaching idea, it's to instill doctrine. It's to explain or expound. Every time we gather with any kind of teaching or kind of home fellowship or something, I pray and hope that everybody walks out of every gathering going, you know what, God taught me something today. And this is how I can apply it to my life and this is how I can be more like Jesus to my community. The word astonished, it means to be struck with amazement. I love being struck with amazement. I love hearing a pastor teach a passage that I've known that I've even taught before, and he has an insight that fell like manna from heaven. And he teaches it, and I just go, I never saw that before. Oh, God, thank you, you know? Stuart Briscoe, years ago, I don't, I don't know if you're with me, Dad. We went to a pastor's conference in Mount Hermon. Was Stuart Briscoe, did you agree there that one? My lovely wife, David, let's get rid of it. That's twice. Stuart Briscoe is this Irish-British guy, and he talked about the verse that says, the love of Christ compels me. He probably said, the love of Christ compels me, or something like that. And he said, the word compels. It's like when a river is rushing through a narrow gorge. It has all this energy, and it's, it's coming through a tight place. And because it's coming through a tight place, it has all this energy, and it has all this power. That's the word compels. And then when it gets down in the flatland, what happens? It just kind of meanders. It just gets shallow. There's silt. There's no life in it. It just kind of turns into a swamp. And he said, basically, Paul didn't have a swampy life. He had one of those narrow gorge lives where the love of God just pushed him like crazy. I've never forgotten it. It was a heavenly illustration. I I was astonished by it then. I'm astonished by it still. That's what we should want as Christians. That's what we should expect from people that stand up in the pulpit. That's what we should expect and that's what we should desire in our own lives. Lord, astonish me with your word. Did, did, did this idea, guys, look at verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, but not anymore. 
They used to be able to be astonished at his teaching, but you know, so much time has passed. Is that what, we don't believe that, do we? No. Make, make it your prayer this week as you have a devotional life. And it might require a little slowing down a little. And it might require adding five more minutes to your Bible reading time. And it might require something from you. But may I say this? Make it your prayer this week. God, astonish me with your word. Astonish me with an answer to prayer. Astonish me with a scripture that applies to my life that I never connected the two together. Astonish me, Lord. I think we should pray that. Yes or no? By the way, for the rest of this message, you can say amen anytime you want. (laughs) There we go. He taught with authority. Look at verse 22. They were astonished because he taught with authority. Read the notes. He taught with authority. He taught with authority because he had authority. Rabbis quoted one another. Jesus brought the message directly from the Father. He taught with authority because he knew what he was talking about. (laughs) You think? Jesus knew what the word, Jesus not only knew the word, he knew what it meant and what it was spoken for. He never had to be creative with the meaning or application of God's word. Jesus taught with authority because he believed what he was saying. May that be so with us. When you're sitting over coffee and and your friend is saying, I'm thinking of leaving my spouse, we just don't feel the spark anymore. You, You begin to tell them, you know what? Love isn't a spark, love's a choice. Jesus wasn't too sparky when he was hanging on the cross, but he was deliberate about redeeming us. Love is a choice. And you just speak that word into their life. Jesus believed it, we need to believe it. Jesus taught with authority because he wasn't afraid of people disagreeing with him. That's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? Because people do disagree. Guys, I've shared the word many times and people have disagreed with me. But Jesus didn't call us to, to follow him if, if everybody agreed with us, right? And by the way, somebody might disagree with you many times and then finally they start agreeing because you've been persistent, been prayerful, and God's working on their hearts. Jesus taught with authority of heaven because he was submitted to the Father. Can, we, can you mark your spot? Turn over to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read something to you guys real quick. I think this is a really important um, <clears throat> point to make. Luke chapter 7. And we're starting to head towards a little bit. We're starting to head towards how does this whole thing apply to us? We're starting to head towards the so what part of the sermon. Luke chapter 7, verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, backtrack, a centurion who was a a leader of 100 Roman soldiers sent some people to Jesus. Now, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. But he heard that Jesus could heal. And so he sent somebody to go get Jesus because his his little girl was dying. So Jesus said, okay, let's go. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. I am also a man placed under authority. Mark the word also. The centurion saw something in Jesus because he said, I am also under authority like you're under authority. This Gentile man could see that Jesus was under the authority of something greater than himself. We know the Father in heaven, but 
But this man saw the, the, the submission of Jesus. Verse 8. I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So what is the centurion saying? He's saying, I have authority to say things because I've submitted to Caesar. In Caesar's name, I can say things and they get done. And they have power because I'm submitted. Now he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know you're also a man under authority. You don't even have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak that authority. Just speak that word. Notice, verse 9, Jesus heard these things. He marveled at him, turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And the little girl was healed at that very moment. What's my point? I'm glad you asked. This is my point. My point is Jesus had authority, guys, to speak with authority. What did we just read? He taught and the people were astonished because he spoke with authority. Where did he get the authority? By submitting to the Father. He submitted to the Father in in, in becoming human. That's huge. And then his whole life, submission to the Father. You guys with me? Yes or no? You've got to talk to me. I don't know. We'll get the paddles out. Boom! We'll keep you going here. Okay? Jesus submitted to the Father, and because so, he had authority. Guys, how do we effectively speak into the life of the person that you're sitting across the table at at Pete's or at Starbucks or whatever, and, and they're saying, you know, I'm thinking of leaving my spouse, and you're thinking, I should really say something, but I just don't, who am I? I just, you know. If you're submitted to the Lord, then you're walking in his spirit, you're walking in his power, you're walking in confidence of him, and it doesn't mean that we're a bull in the china shop, but it just simply means I'm going to say something. My friend needs to hear this, you know. Friend, the Bible says, love your, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And I have found in my life when I do that, my marriage is blessed. And yeah, it's hard sometimes, but it's so worth it. How hard is that to say? But you'll be, you'll be afraid to say that if you're not walking submitted to the Lord. Because if you're not walking submitted to the Lord, the author, his authority in your life, if his authority in your life isn't present in a private way, probably not going to be present in a public way. Does that make sense? But as we walk in in submission, as we walk under his authority, his authority comes into us and it goes through us. I'm not saying speaking magical words and changing situations and like the word faith movement or something like that. I'm just saying the authority to speak the word of God. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. We're not going to be doing this a lot, just a little bit. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. The word if means since. Since you're the Son of God, you have the power to turn the stones to bread. And Jesus answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I said it before, I just wanted you to see it. Jesus said, essentially, bread isn't enough. Bread isn't enough. People need my word. Guys, once again, I'm not on the warpath. I'm not on the warpath against... Please hear me. I I keep feeling like I have to say, are we okay? I'm not going to say it anymore. Please hear me. This is my intention. There are some churches that serve bread very well. 
And I'm not just talking physical bread. They serve all the bread of all the social gatherings and all the other things. And I'm not on the war path. I'm, I'm not on the war path against anybody. I'm on the war path for you. Please receive that. I mean it with all my heart. I'm on the war path for you. I don't want you to be people that just settle for bread. I don't want you Christians to be people that just settle for bread. If you settle for bread, you're missing. You're, if you settle for bread, you're being cheated. You're cheating yourself. And if a church will only give you bread or, or, or major in being, just giving you bread, then they're cheating you. And if you're not giving yourself more than bread, and bread is social gatherings and all the other nice stuff that a social or a church organization can offer. Bread isn't bad. I like bread. It needs to be gluten-free now, but I like bread with a lot of butter. Bread exists just for butter. Butter was cre- bread is just an accessory. I could just scoop it and just do this, almost. I'm almost, yeah. But guys, if it's just bread, if a church is just giving you bread, if a pastor is just, if a, if a Christian organization is just giving you bread, they're cheating you. They're cheating you. And if you just stay there and keep eating bread, you're cheating yourself. And you're cheating your spouse and your kids and your friends and everybody because you will not be getting fed the manna from heaven. And there will be no astonishment in the words that you speak. And I think Jesus still wants to astonish people, right? Don't you think? He wants to astonish people still. And, he wa- and guess what? Guess who he's using? Here he is. <laughs> Here we are. He wants to use us to astonish the world around us. Finally, in Mark, look at your notes. I've got to turn it up here. Mark one thirty-eight. When all of this happens, he heals the people and casts out demons and all of this. He says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because notice this, for this purpose I have come. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, that was a good day yesterday, but you've left town, you're out kind of leaving town and the people want you to come back. And he says, you know what, I'm not going back. But but you healed them. Yeah, I know I healed them. And you cast out demons. I know it was amazing and people are free now and all of that. But you know what? I have to go keep teaching. I have to go keep preaching, which means proclaiming. I have to continue on in this ministry. I'm going to do a a one-minute summary of the last page, and I'll leave that with you. Guys, there's false prophets and teachers in the Bible. There's false prophets and teachers now. Peter tells us, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, either your money or they just want you. They want your allegiance. They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, their destruction does not slumber. That verse just basically says there's always been false teachers and false prophets and we have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. Letter C here on page two. I got this from a, a website called the Gospel Coalition. encourage you to, to look it up. <clears throat> Seven ways to, 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 to check if, if the message that you're hearing from a teacher or somebody uh, is right on or not. Um, the numeric titles here are from the page of the comments I added in. You can just read over that. You can do some homework. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. 
I just think there's a, there's, there's a lack of discernment in our, in our community. I'm not on the warpath against anybody. I'm on the warpath against Satan. What's, the, what's one of the names for Satan? Starts with an L, ends with an I. There are Christians in our community that are denying biblical truths. And they're aggressive about it. And I think they've been deceived. I'm not against them. But, but I hate what Satan does to people. And there's no astonishment. There's no astonishment over the word of God in many people's lives. And there's just the discernment is gone. Finally, down at the bottom, we are called to speak with authority. Question, and you can work through the notes on your own. I don't want to keep you too long here. Is speaking God's word important to you? It needs to be. It needs to be. Guys, look at me. I'm I'm not going to say it until every face is looking at me in the eyes. Everybody look at me in the eyes. The word of God needs to be important to you. It needs to be important for you to speak it to people. Dear dear brothers and sisters, if it's not, your priorities are, are mixed up. I'm not saying get a sandwich board and a bullhorn and stand out on the corner. I'm not saying that. But as God gives you opportunity, even over coffee or something, just real, the simplest thing, you're with a friend. I don't know if God loves me. Oh my goodness, there's an open door, right? Of course he loves you. Let me share the word of God with you. We need to speak God's word and we need to speak it with authority. And this is an authority because there's false teachers that do this, right? Yelling and shouting isn't authority. Authority comes because we're speaking and it has the fragrance of heaven. That's where the authority is. Then finally, and I guys, I'm trusting you guys, you have homework. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and swear that you'll do it, but I'm asking you to. Read that, read that Hebrews chapter 5 passage. Finally, the last thing, word of encouragement to you guys, and I do mean to encourage you. Be mature. Now these are all good things. Be mature. Be convinced about God's word. Be spirit-led. We don't always give our opinion about everything. It's not always necessary, but when the Lord is prompting you to speak his word, speak his word. Have faith. I preach in faith every week. (laughs) You think think Bill Walden can change your life? (laughs) Right. Jesus through Bill Walden, Jesus can bring changes in your life. If I will say, Lord, here I am again. Oh, man, you, you sure? Yeah, okay, here I am again. Use me. Don't be afraid of being used by the Lord. Be submitted to him. Allow his authority to govern your private life. Allow his authority to govern your fears, to dispel them. Allow his authority to have free reign in you. And you will notice as you speak, now you're speaking with his authority. Gentle, powerful, loving, and true. And then speak.